Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the European Conversations podcast series brought to you by the European Movement in Scotland. I'm Kirsty Hughes and this week I'm in conversation with Dr Ian Hardy who is a visiting lecturer at the University of Edinburgh where he worked from 2007 to the end of 2022 as a senior lecturer. Prior to that he worked in London and in Hong Kong in investment banking and in particular in bond markets. Ian, thanks very much for talking to me today into this European Conversations podcast. You're an expert, amongst other things, on currency issues, and you've written about the question, the much debated question of independence and what currency to use, which is, as you know, has obviously been highly politically sensitive, but it's also quite a, a challenging economic question. So I want to ask you about the SNP's plans up to now to go initially for something called sterlingization, about the feasibility and desirability of a Scottish currency, about the feasibility and desirability eventually, if an independent Scotland joins the EU, of being in the euro. So maybe we can just take it in that order. And you can first tell me something about how you view sterlingization, or even to start with the simplest end of it, say, what is it? Sterlingization, as as currently proposed, is what's termed an informal currency union, which is essentially that Scotland would continue to use the UK pound, but the Bank of England would have no formal responsibility under any form of agreement between an independent Scotland and the Westminster government stroke the Bank of England as to the nature of any responsibility that the Bank of England would have in Scotland. Um, and that's it's that formal, informal distinction, the lack of any formal agreement and the fact the lack of any formal responsibility on the part of the Bank of England that's really the key change from from 2014. In 2014, the proposal, and obviously we know it didn't go politically but it particularly well, but the proposal was for a formal agreement, a formal currency union. That's been dropped as of the Scottish Growth Commission's report in favour of an informal currency union. And what that what that essentially means is yes, we would continue to use sterling as an independent country, but we would not have the protection either for financial stability or for any other monetary policy reasons of Bank of England action, unless the Bank of England decided not that it was in the interest of Scotland to intervene, but that it was in the interest of the of the remainder of the UK that it intervened. And that's a very substantial change from the formal currency union of of the nature that was proposed in 2014 and and of the nature of what we have in in uh, in the euro which is a form an, another example of a formal currency union i suppose is it true to say that there are some countries that have, have made a similar policy work i mean there's montenegro is in the euro brussels didn't agree to that probably not very pleased about it and there, there's other countries around the world it is fair to say that there are examples of of where it has been adopted but in in a sense one of the one of the important points to note is is how rare it is countries have 
choices on their currency options and countries make very different choices around that very few have chosen an informal currency union you're right montenegro is an example ecuador panama are other examples and there are some small island states that have done the same but it's it's actually a very rare option for for countries to to take and i think that's in itself quite an important point to to um to draw out um, there's a reason it's it's a it's a rare option. What would you say are the biggest risks? I mean, you've talked about inappropriate monetary policy decisions made for the rest of the UK for for an independent Scotland, but does that mean you could get higher inflation than you you might choose if you were in control, or or a recession that that certainly obviously you wouldn't choose? I think that I think that that's. That is is absolutely correct, but it's actually the the less important thing to focus on. The reality is now that the setting of of interest rates for a UK wide inflation rate involves an emphasis on economic conditions in particularly England, because England is the, is obviously the dominant economy. And many in the north of England would argue it's predominantly an interest rate for the for the south southeast of of England, uh, um, particularly London, um, because that that's the dominant economic area. And that that point has been made for for a very long time within the nationalist movement. Interest rates um, supposedly set for a small area, geographic area of of, of the UK. The extent to which that is actually a valid concern is is dependent on how similar the UK the the Scottish economy is is seen as the as the rest of the UK and in economist terms the extent to which it's an optimum the UK is an optimum currency area if you look at the divergence of of Scotland from the from the rest of the UK economically there is debate about whether we should see um, the UK as an optimum currency area, but for for me, fundamentally, it, it it is a it is close enough to an optimum currency area for for our current situation not to represent hugely divergent interest rates relative to the needs of the of the Scottish economy, and it, it tends to be that it's always the case that that argument is is made when interest rates tend to be. To be high, we don't we don't tend to see when when interest rates are down at sort of pretty much zero that everyone's going oh no Scottish interest rates should be should be higher than this. Um, it tends to be only when they're when they're higher that everyone says we could we could have lower interest rates. Um, the more important issue is during periods of really um, negative economic conditions either within the banking sector where the ability to create money the central bank's ability to create money is what underpins its ability to intervene to support banks in times of of liquidity issues of the sort of issues that we've just seen uh, a number of banks go through in the uh, in the United States and that 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 intervention to support Scottish banks 
albeit a relatively small number of Scottish banks, because because the expectation of independence has to be that by then the big the biggest banks either will have moved or would move in pretty short order. Um, but the the ability is constrained to support the Scottish banking system because a Scottish central bank, which would be the only ones responsible for financial stability, um, would not have the ability to create UK pounds. Only the Bank of England has the ability to do that. And then there is also the the issue of more broad financial stability or more generous monetary policy over and above extremely low interest rates of the sort we've seen going back um, since the financial crisis until relatively recently, which effectively is creating money to buy financial assets, particularly um, government bonds. And again, that's not a situation where the Scottish Central Bank in an informal currency union would ever be able to create pounds to do that, either because as we of a nature of as we saw um, after the mini budget in September 2022 um, for reasons to support financial stability, where the Bank of England came in and bought gilts, committed to buy gilts, um, UK government bonds. Um, that's not something that the, the Scottish Central Bank could do. Or to say, because interest rates are so low, we're going to indulge in what's called quantitative easing, which is creating money to buy government bonds to further stimulate um, um, the economy. And if there was a situation because of a shock specific to Scotland that necessitated that, the Scottish Central Bank would not be able to do that. And, and the Bank of England would only have the incentive to do that if it thought that it was in the interests of of the um, rest of the UK economy because of some negative impact on that economy because of problems in Scotland. Now, the counter argument is always going to be, well, if Scotland's a, a, um, if Scotland, if you accept Scotland's in an optimum currency area, then we shouldn't expect that those sort of negative economic events that don't affect the rest of the UK to happen. But there's plenty of scenarios you can you can create where that is a possibility. And particularly once you have independence, the likelihood of divergence of the Scottish economy from the from the rest of the UK is high. Um, and obviously the, the the policy divergence is also likely to be higher. Um, and as a result, the the possibility that you would need that sort of intervention becomes higher, that, that intervention in a specifically Scottish context rather than a broader UK context it becomes actually much goes higher. Up, so it goes up with independence. And then, and of course, an independent Scotland, we've been told again and again, would aim to join the European Union. And since it doesn't look like Brexit will be reversed anytime soon for the whole of the UK, despite the change in public opinion, that presumably would also be quite a, a trend of, of divergence too, as, as Scotland became more integrated back in into the EU. And in, in that context, given that the SNP has said sterlingisation would be temporary, but indefinite, do you think an independent Scotland could join the EU if it was using informally the currency of a third country outside of the EU? I think it, I mean, I think the, 
the actual politics of an exemption is something where your expertise is higher than 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 mine. But clearly, the the whole issue around currency stability vis-a-vis the euro for a period of time that that is uh, and financial stability for a period of time which which is not only an issue around the euro but is actually an issue around eu membership becomes a lot harder from an economic point of view if you're in if you're in sterling and if you're if you're using a currency that you don't control um, all of those factors become much harder in the context of of not having your own currency and not having control of your, over your own currency. Um, so economically, I think it would be a much harder thing to do. Politically, as I say, I defer to your to your far greater experience and in, in in I suppose what you have to call it the politics of exemption. Yes, I think it's. I mean, in an accession process to join the EU, I, I guess it's it's the politics of where you get some either exemptions or you get more likely a transition period. And so is it likely that an independent Scotland would be allowed some sort of transition period where they join the EU while having a policy of sterlingisation using the, the UK pound? But I think even if that was possible, and I put a zero probability on it but it, it, it's it's certainly not something I'd say is likely and it's certainly not definite but even if it could be negotiated I think you'd probably need a time limit on it you'd say okay but how many years till you introduce the Scottish currency and it might need to be two or three not 20 or or 30 so so I don't uh, think it's but, impossible but, as some people have said but I you can't say it's it's not a problem it is a problem uh, and, and but if, but if you look at if you look at the the latest, which obviously is now previous SNP government statements, you aren't talking about twenty or thirty years. What they've t- said is is transition to a new currency as soon as practicable. Um, and in that in that context, in the press conference, um, Nicholas Surgeon did push back very hard against the idea of ten years. So I think we have to assume it's we're talking about something under ten years. That that may still be a transition that's too long for um, for um, the EU. Um, and from and, what you're saying, it's also but, it may be too long for the Scottish economy. So I mean, you would argue it's both the the better idea and feasible, if I'm right, to to set up a Scottish currency to come in what on the first day of independence how would it work i think so i mean i think the the if you look at if you look at the sort of um set of requirements the sort of you know it's almost a copy of gordon brown um but from the from the other point of view you have a series of tests principles etc um we know those are those are a set of already once you say well it's as soon as practicable what you're talking about is a set of tests where the answer is going to be is going to be yes, we we've met them, um, and the reality is that for the Scottish government to 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 be able to successfully borrow, there's going to have to be a very very clear and and convincing coherent plan for the transition um, to the new currency automatically. As soon as you say we're going to make the transition as soon as as is practicable. 
then the market's going to be looking for very clear um, plans for how that's going to be brought about. Um, it's going to be looking for the institutions to be in place, et cetera, et cetera. So you're already going to have to have met a lot of those um, as soon as possible and not to make the transition to the new currency is um, is simply to take a punt that you're not going to be put in a position where you need the, the central bank to have the ability to create money before the transition um, to the new currency takes place. But it is worth it, it, it is worth emphasizing because you you've used quite rightly the word sterlingization. Sterlingization is is the continued use of the of the pound. But what you're actually talking about is a different form of transition. You've used the, tr the transition in terms of what the EU might allow. But the really important transition, and, and um, John Kay is perfectly right in what he said about this, is actually the speed with which the process of de-sterlingization would happen in the Scottish economy. Because what what you're not going to be able to have is is and and shouldn't have is a process that says we're going to force people to stop using sterling. You can't suddenly say we're going to forcibly convert everybody's um, everybody's sterling deposits, for example, mm. into into Scottish pounds. That's going to have to be a voluntary process. Both from a a, a a economic freedom and and justice everything point of view, but also because if you had any hint that that might happen, this, the extent of capital flight would be quite staggering, and the speed of that capital flight, you know, would make sort of collapse of of Silicon Valley Bank look like a, a slow motion event. So, so the, 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 the so so it's really what you're talking about is is still going to be a process of de-sterlingization as people get more confidence in the new currency and and the usage of the new currency increases um and that 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 could be a relatively slow process but in um, terms even of in, in, i mean if obviously you know whenever there might be an independent ref, independence referendum or decision or vote or however however that that happens imagine if it was tomorrow so tomorrow there's a, a referendum where the Scottish people vote yes um, to independence. So there's got to be a negotiation, the divorce talks with the UK government. That might take, let's say, two to three years. Can you, with all these provisos you've already mentioned, of it's, it's a much longer process, is two to three years time enough time to introduce a Scottish currency? I don't want, I don't want to minimise... Especially as as we as we've just gone through the debacle of of the Brexit process, to minimise the the difficulties of the whole independence negotiations and preparation, it would be a it, it, there's no doubt it would be a very large task. But I don't. But nor do I think it's not a manageable task. But I think the most important point to emphasise there is not that it's it's not a it's not a big challenge and that two to three years would be would be a, a a significant challenge for for everyone 
involved because it's not just the negotiations it's the establishment of the institutions etc the more important point from from the the currency perspective is that once the scottish government has said we're going to move to a uh, a scottish pound as soon as is practicable and i think that it for, for the reasons i've talked about i think that's the right policy you are already going to have to do the vast majority of the work in terms of establishing the credible institutions, establishing the credible plan for the transition in those two to three years, because otherwise everyone's you can't then go after after the independent date and say to the markets, we're going to borrow in Scott in in UK pounds for the moment. But there's a there's a transition coming, and we'll tell you later what the nature of that transition plan is is going to be, and the and the the we're going to establish the credible institutions later, etc. All of that's going to have to be in place. Otherwise, the market's only going to lend to you for very very short periods of time. So, for you, the most credible it's going to be approach, repaid before the transition. The best approach, however, one gets to that point is that on Independence Day you have your own Scottish currency. Correct. Now, that doesn't mean there's not extensive use of sterling in the Scottish That's economy. Said, yes. Mm. Over over a over over a probable protracted period, but as confidence gets established, more and more people will will trend, and and probably for for a very extended period, will a lot of individuals even, and certainly companies, will keep accounts in both currencies. And what you're what you're aiming for is over time the balance between what we keep in Scottish pounds and what we keep in in UK pounds shifts in favour of 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 the Scottish pound. Um, that'll to, be a, an extended transition period, definitely. And to complicate that further, I mean, I've argued that an independent Scotland could potentially join the European Union within four to five years. Obviously, joining the European Union means making a commitment to join the euro, but you don't join it straight away. And as many people have pointed out, once you're in, you can't be forced to join the euro. So if an independent Scotland, if I'm right, say five years after Independence Day and it's got its Scottish currency, but people are still also using the UK pound, as you've described, it doesn't have to join the euro straight away it may not meet the criteria to join the euro straight away in fact it won't straight away but would you then advise that that would be a good goal we've got ireland is in the euro finland is in the euro is should that be the goal or should sweden and staying out be the goal i i think it i think that in in many ways that's a false debate because We've got to remember that that the way in which everything has been set up in this debate, it's a sort of binary. There's the euro and and there's not being in the euro and using your own currency. Um, in certain points, it is binary. Obviously, the the, the nature of currency notes, etc. But what joining the euro means is joining the European Monetary Union, and the European Monetary Union is not a fixed entity it's a developing union obviously 
unfortunately, mostly most of its speeding up points uh, tend to be when when we have crisis. But nevertheless, we see we see that what what EMU now is not the same as it was when we had the 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 crisis in 2012. Even once Draghi said the the ECB will do famously quote whatever it takes to maintain the euro, EMU changed at that point, and obviously in many ways that was the turning point of the of the sovereign debt crisis. But even st- since then, with banking union, with with the small the the as yet small changes in terms of fiscal union, with the with the issuance of bonds um, as part of the COVID recovery, etc. All of these are changes that mean that this is not the same EMU as as existed ten plus years ago. And further, at a point in the future, it will be again a different. EMU, and that um, also, there will be it, changes between now and then. Hopefully and not as a result on, of another crisis. No, hopefully not. That impacts wherever the policies go, impacts in different ways on those member states not in the euro. So, so if you change EU policies on tax, um, even on foreign policy to the extent it interacts with economic and monetary policy, it's it's not like you get to opt out of all that by being in the EU mm. and, and not in the euro, you only get some things you're not part of. So so if, if, if when you when you ask me the question, should Scotland join EMU in some period in the future? But and you you you're you're talking already two to three years of negotiation agreed, then then the process of joining the the EU, which uh, again, I, I, I'm not in a position to disagree or, or agree with your four to five years. What you're essentially saying is, should Scotland commit to? Should 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 I now say it's a good idea for Scotland to join an EMU in probably approaching a decade? And yet, look people, at the changes that's be, no, been. No, I, I see in, your, in, I see your point. But on the other hand, people will say the Scottish government when it applies to join the EU, will have to make a credible commitment that it intends eventually to join the euro. So there will be that debate. Now, that and that debate will include what and you're that, just and telling that, us. And that's, and, that's, and that's, I think, is fine. I think you can you can have debates around where we are now. And I think that the, the advances that we've seen now are starting to make joining the euro um, a sensible option. There are still the... the the, there are still the very important issues around um, how one adjusts to current account imbalances, um, and the fact that that as we saw in in two thousand and twelve, the option of devaluation of the currency to to bring about um, adjustment of the of a current account deficit is going to be uh, is get, continues to be an issue with the single currency, just as it would be with using sterling um um and that 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 still remains an issue that that causes me um that causes me concern but but i'd still like to see progress in 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 that regard but could the could the well be with particularly um developments around fiscal union developments in that regard i think yes i think it's very possible that we could see those so we're coming to the end of this particular conversation, Ian, and 
obviously all these currency questions are quite complex and yet they are central to the political and economic debate around independence. And we've been talking about carrying on using the UK pound, having a Scottish currency, while still to some extent people having UK sterling denominated accounts and joining the EU and looking at eventually joining the euro, which as you've said, is is a kind is a wider economic and monetary system. It's not just a question of what notes you have in your in your pocket or on your card. Is it as complicated as it will sound to some people or is the fact that these are all processes that are going to take time part of what makes it all feasible and other countries have done it i mean i think i think it's important to recognize yes other countries have have done it they've they've often done it under fairly extreme circumstances and with with what you might call fairly extreme um, incentives. I mean, if you look at the, particularly people like the Baltic states, the the sort of extreme incentive of of um, of independence from from the Soviet Union um, creates a lot of incentives. But I think that nevertheless, the, these things um, are possible um, and can be done. I think the important the important point is that. We need to move from the the debate about the um, the choice of of currency, where to me the with the announcement by the Scottish government of transition as soon as practicable, essentially the 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 Scottish government has has accepted that the debate as to to the um, attractions of of a new Scottish currency are essentially over. But what needs to now happen is a debate regarding the nature of the transition and a recognition that it is a transition um, that that needs to take place um, and how that will take place, the choices that need to be taken within that transition become the important part of the debate. And that is that is an economic debate, but it's also a political debate. Because I think that that one of the important points is around this is that because this is a process of desterlingization, there is a large part of it which is that is decisions that individuals will take of their own volition, not decisions that are forced upon people as part of the as part of the process and so we need to we need to have the debate about how that might work what the incentives will be for people to make tra- various transitions and not make various transitions and and a, an honest debate about the risks that people will be taking around those decisions so for example if you choose to maintain a Scottish a UK pound pension at a time when the economy is as heavily de-sterlingized, a horrible word, but I think an important one. Then you you've turned yourself as a, as a pensioner into a into essentially a currency trader. Similarly, um, a there's a, there are risks inherent in saying, well, I'll have a Scottish, I'll have a, a UK pound pension. Sorry, mortgage. While owning a um, a Scottish pound 
denominated asset, namely my house. Um, so these these are debates that need to be that need to be had and um, and issues that need to be accept, accepted as as important. But while emphasizing that this is a this is a process of desterilization um that will involve a lot of choices by people and i think that's that's something that's perhaps not been emphasized enough politically um because when we go back to 2018 and the scottish growth commission once you say well it, it nothing's going to change between before and after and we're going to continue to use sterling you're already going down a process of not being fully honest with people um about the nature of an informal currency union similarly just trying to gloss over the process of desterilization um seems to me to be not be fully honest with people because it will involve some important decisions for people to take i think it's it's a really important point and i i've in some of my writing about how one would negotiate entry to the EU, what would happen in the intervening period, what sort of trade and association agreement you'd have with the EU. I've I've ended up also saying it's about transition and we have to talk about transition and may, maybe we have to find a word that people will grasp with more energy than transition. But, but in a way, it's pretty obvious that if you were independent today than in 30 years time and you'd ha- would you have your own currency and be in the EU and would it be okay I mean the answer is is probably yes if, if the EU is still there and depending on the state of the world but what's going to happen in those first few years and, and what's going to happen in the first year and five years and, and what's going to happen once you are on the EU or what's going to happen once you've got which currency and and so on so so I think I think I'd agree with you there from a from a broader perspective too. I think I think, I, I think you're must, right. I think we must leave it there. I think we could spend another another podcast talking more about questions of of the euro and 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 the wider developments in in the European economy, but that will have to be another time. So Ian Hardy, thank you very much for talking to me today. Thanks for having me. There we must leave this episode of the European Conversations podcast series brought to you by the European Movement in Scotland. I'm Kirsty Hughes and I was in conversation with Dr Ian Hardy.